there's a lot of companies that want to get their name in lights and TechCrunch, but what are they offering our readers? We're not a PR machine for companies. We want to get out what's interesting, what would be relevant to our readers. We want to know why our readers would care about your company. Why is this important to them? This is Digital Communicators, the comms-focused show for the tech sector. My name is Simon Coughlin. I'm an Associate Director here at Babel, and I am delighted today to be joined by Christine Hall from TechCrunch. Hi, Christine. Hi, thank you for having me. Whereabouts are you? I live in Houston, Texas. And how long have you been with TechCrunch? I joined TechCrunch last July, so not a, quite a full year yet. Prior to being at TechCrunch, I was at Crunchbase News and had been there for about a year and a half before joining TechCrunch. Before that, I had a couple of different kinds of jobs. One was with a local newspaper here in the Houston area, writing about school board meetings and city council meetings. Prior to that, I worked for the Texas Medical Center and I wrote for their in-house magazine covering healthcare innovation, which was really fun. It was almost a touch point for working at Crunchbase News and then at TechCrunch because I got to work with a lot of digital health and medical technology startups that came through the accelerator program that they had and learned all about how they go about funding, what they do, how they talk to investors, how they get their products into hospitals, all that good stuff. And then before that, I was a freelancer just working for myself for a really long time. And then the, the job before that was the one that I had after graduating from college. And that was with the Houston Business Journal. So I covered everything going on with all of the Houston businesses. So I've basically been a business journalist my entire career. And in terms of your role at TechCrunch, do you tend to focus on a particular area or sector? Yes, definitely. I'm part of the venture desk. And so I cover venture capital rounds and talking to startups, mainly in the enterprise and like business SaaS sector, as well as e-commerce and food tech industries. Obviously, TechCrunch is a hugely admired publication. We always got clients coming to us saying, how do I get in TechCrunch? So it'd be great to get your perspective on advice you'd give to companies who'd like to appear in TechCrunch. Absolutely. We get a lot of cold emails. So just email us. It's really that simple. I wish I could say it's more complicated, but it's really just as simple as sending a cold email. One of the great things about TechCrunch is that there are so many journalists on staff that everyone really has a different perspective. One journalist might feel a certain way about how they want to be pitched or the companies that they want to cover, but then there's another reporter who's, hey, the more the merrier, just send everything to me and I'll look through it. I don't really have anything in particular that I'm looking for. So I think that's one of the, the great things about working at TechCrunch that I've noticed is that everyone has a, a niche that they look at, but there's just so many different perspectives and opportunities to get in front of a reporter. And we actually share our pitches. If it's something that should be covered, but we can't get to it, we can share it with all of the other writers. And if somebody's interested, they can grab it and write it. So it doesn't necessarily have to be on their beat. It's just if something catches their eye and they're like, oh, I'd love to write about this, then they take it and run with it. In terms of that collaboration between yourself and your colleagues, presumably based across the globe, how do you communicate with, with some of your colleagues and share some of those good pitch ideas? Most of it is shared via email, but also we're a tech journalism company. So we've got your Slack and another technology that we use to correspond with each other throughout the day. I guess... The kind of holy grail for a lot of the companies that we deal with going through Series A, Series B funding rounds is to get their name in lights on TechCrunch. But I know that yourself and your colleagues are going to be inundated with requests for getting 
coverage for funding rounds. So what is the golden recipe for, for getting coverage in TechCrunch? Yeah, I could probably talk about this all day long. One of the big things that I always tell people is to take a look at the publication and who is writing what. Get on the TechCrunch website, do a quick keyword search for the, the industry that your client is in or that, that you're in and see who's writing the stories and then go from there. As you mentioned, we get inundated with pitches. And a lot of the times, because we get inundated with pitches, we can't always email back everybody. You know, if I get a hundred emails a day, I really can't take the time to send back a hundred responses. So if it's something that I don't cover at all, nine times out of 10, I probably would just delete it unless it's really compelling and something that I think an, another reporter would want. So I think that targeting that pitch to the right person at the beginning will go a long way to actually getting in front of the person that you want to get in front of. The main thing is really sum up in a paragraph why the news matters. What does the company do and why would our readers care? I think that there's a lot of companies that, like you mentioned, want to get their name in lights and TechCrunch, but what are they offering our readers? We're not a PR machine for companies, we want to get out what's interesting, what would be relevant to our readers. And we, we want to know why our readers would care about your company. Why is this important to them? I think that, like I mentioned, we're willing and able to accept cold email from PR folks. And we like that. Funding news is like off the charts lately. I really, ever since I was at Crunchbase News, I think that we had discussed in 2020, the news slowing down and what would we cover if nobody's putting out funding news. And I think that sentiment lasted all of about a week. And then we were just back to our inboxes filling up. And so I think that one of the things to understand, it, it's really nothing personal if a reporter doesn't get back to you. It just means a few things. One, the story doesn't fit with their coverage. They might have a long list of stories available to them at the time and had to decline some or the pitch just really was not of interest to them. And I try to be a steward of journalism and tell people, hey, this is not really something that interests me. I can't always do that, but I try as much as I can. And I think there's also something to be said with the amount of funding announcements that I would love to be able to write every single pitch that I get, because I think that it's important for companies to have their story told. But I think that there's only so many hours of the day. And so as much as I want to book out a story, even a month in advance, I'm finding myself that's really making me feel burnt out. So I, I don't do that as much anymore. I do push back a lot on people trying to say we're flexible with this announcement. So we could do it anytime that you want. And it's like, okay, so you basically, if, if I don't feel like doing it, then I have to come back to you and be mean and say, I don't feel like doing the stories. Sorry. From PR perspective, whilst it can be quite downhearting to get a rejection or, or not hit back from a journalist, I think we fully understand that you're under those similar time pressures that, that we are. In terms of your typical working day, what does it look like? When I get to work, I go through all of my emails that I got from the day be before early in the morning. I actually started having a folder of stories that I'm considering and looking through those and making sure that I responded back if I needed to or waiting for them to respond to see like what timing might be like. A large chunk of my day is going through emails. I have stories lined up for every day and so I'll spend a good chunk of time writing those. I'm on Twitter quite often so I'm on there looking through to see if there's stories that I could be looking for. I take calls with investors, with company founders, sometimes with PR people just to to get to know them and learn more about what they're doing. You mentioned social media there, Christine. What role does 
platforms like Twitter play in your news gathering process? I think I'm a little bit different in that it's not as prevalent of my news gathering as other people on our staff. There are a lot of staff who monitor Twitter a lot and get a, you know many ideas and also quick breaking news tips from Twitter. So it is definitely a resource that we tap into every day. We often have long strategic discussions here in PR world about is exclusivity and timing in terms of the day of the week that we might put a story out. So mm -hmm. often we say perhaps Mondays or Fridays are not a good day to offer a story to journalists. Do you have any advice around exclusivity and the day of the week at which we launch a story. Yeah, I do realize that people don't like Mondays or Fridays, but I'm a big proponent of Mondays and Fridays, honestly, because those are the days that I have more time to actually do things. And so whenever somebody pitches me and they don't really have a day, usually I will point them to a Monday or a Friday. If you really want me to write this, this certain Friday is the only day that I have that I don't have anything else on the calendar. So you get my full attention essentially, or the only story that I have to do for Monday. So you, you get my full attention on that. I do understand. And, and I think it just depends on where you live and what happens on your Friday or on your Monday as to whether or not that's conducive to you. But I'm a big proponent of any day of the week, especially with TechCrunch, because I, I don't think that the technology news dies on any day of the week, honestly. I've had some stories do really well on a Friday, so well that they put it on the front page of the, the homepage of TechCrunch because it, it did so well. So I think it just depends on interest and things like that from readers. So that obviously I try to make sure that I'm catering to our our readers. Exclusivity with regard to that, that's something else that we've had a big discussion on because it can mean a lot of different things. It can mean exclusive to posting at 8am versus 7am when someone else has it or exclusivity like I might be the technology publication, but someone else is the local publication. So I think it kind of means different things to different people. And I think that there was a time when I used to relish like having an exclusive, but because there's so much news and as we've you know talked about, people want to get into TechCrunch, I feel like I'm always just offered exclusives. We want to give it to you because it's TechCrunch and so it's okay. And so I take it with a grain of salt. I don't really hone in on the exclusivity. I appreciate if someone gives it to me because I, I, I think it's wonderful, but it's not really necessary for me to write a story. Let's put it that way. And there's been quite a lot of media coverage recently around the issue of off the record. I don't know whether that is something that you come across a great deal in your line of reporting, Christine, but yes. I don't know if, if TechCrunch as a whole has a policy on off the record. That's something else that we've discussed. And really, we've come to the conclusion that if you have to tell us something off the record, it's not really worth it. it unless your job is in jeopardy, then it should always be on the record. I did an interview with a company where you could literally see the person freaking out whenever somebody other than him would say something. That's very uncomfortable to me as the person doing the story. When he went off the record, like every other sentence was, let me tell you this off the record and then we'll go back on the record. That is not a meaningful story. If you have to go off the record that many times, it means that you need to do a little bit of media training to figure out what your message is going to be so that you don't have to keep going off the record to explain things to me. What we do in terms of like venture capital rounds, there's really nothing much that should be off the record. We want to know those growth metrics. We want to know all of those kinds of things to, to make the story meaningful for our readers. And so if it's something that you have to go on background to like tell me, 
it's not really worth it. And moving away from fundraising and venture capital, are there any particular areas of technology that you have a keen interest in? I know, for example, that food tech is one of your specialist areas. Yeah, food tech is really a fun area to talk about. I wrote my first long form story for TechCrunch Plus on cell cultured meat and what was going on there. It's it's really interesting because I think that it gets to the fun of like food, which we all like eating. So that there's that. But then it also has a science aspect. So it gets into the healthcare realm that I used to cover as well. And so it's really fun because people are just doing some amazing things with turning microbes into food and fermenting this and turning it into that and just doing really cool things, real sciencey, techy things to make food that we eat. And it's really interesting. I think one of the general themes that has come across in over the past years that eventually, and I think it's 2050, there's going to be like 9 billion people that need to eat food and there's just not enough resources to get us there. And so all of these scientists and researchers are all trying to figure out a way for us to get food that we want to eat, that tastes good, that smells good, that we really want to eat. So that by the time that we get to the point where they're saying we might not have enough food, we'll actually have great alternatives on the store shelves and in our homes. One thing I want to touch on, Christine, was meeting with journalists in person. Here in the UK, we are gradually moving away from COVID restrictions. How much of your role presumably very little over the past year has been involved in meeting journalists. And if that is the case, do you hope that changes over the next months? Being in Houston versus like maybe New York or San Francisco, where a lot of my colleagues are, it's a little bit of a different situation. Most of my calls are Zoom meetings or phone calls, but I'm actually venturing out for the first time in March to moderate a panel at the Future Food Tech Conference in San Francisco. And so I'm actually... I'm really excited about it because I don't think I've been to an in-person conference in, gosh, four years. So I'm really excited to be able to do that. So I definitely hope that it changes. I hope that there's a lot of opportunities for me to get out and actually see people in person again, meet people that I talk to on a regular basis in person or get together a TechCrunch journalist to brainstorm and things like that actually in person versus through technology. Great. Christine, thank you very much for joining us. I hope you enjoy uh, the rest of the year. Thanks for having me. For more information about Babel and other episodes of this podcast, head to www.babelpr.com forward slash podcasts.